Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. All right, I'm going to level with you guys. There's not a lot going on right now. It's kind of a dead zone in the news. I could talk about Devin Nunes leaving for another hour, but I'm not sure that I can shed any more light on it. Here's the update. Uh, Andreas Borges wants to run for Devin Nunes' vacant seat. Again, there's the whole redistricting thing that he's running for a seat that's going to disappear in 2022. Anyway, Andreas Borges, who's a state senator, wants to run for Devin Nunes' seat. Andreas Borges is fine. I like him plenty as a California state senator. He's running for House. All right. End of the Devin Nunes update. I am now going to talk about something that interests me. So, you know, when you get your own radio show, you can talk about things that interest you, and hopefully I can make it interesting. I want to talk about things that are big trends in Christianity. And things that I keep seeing, and I see strains of it, not just on my side of the street, the Catholic side of the street, so I know many of you listening are from the more evangelical and or Protestant side of the street. But, you know, I think this is something that is of common concern uh, to those of us who hold little o orthodox beliefs when it comes to questions of sexuality, gender, life issues, etc. One of the things I am seeing in Christianity, in liberal Christianity especially, is a real questioning of the place and value and importance of a whole bunch of core biblical literature. And particularly the works of St. Paul. That St. Paul's epistles in the New Testament are somehow are somehow being rejected wholesale. Now, uh, This raises huge problems. Basically, if you're going to ship out St. Paul from the New Testament, uh, you don't have much of a New Testament left. I mean, certainly you have the Gospels and you have the other uh, epistles by the other New Testament authors. You have the book of Revelation. But if you're shipping out St. Paul, that's a big chunk of the New Testament. Now, why are they doing this? Why are liberal Christians doing this? Well, St. Paul, alas, for liberal Christians writes a whole bunch of stuff that liberal Christians don't like. (laughs) Lots of rejections of things like homosexuality, various kinds of sexual immorality. And as a result, a lot of liberals look at St. Paul as being a very unfortunate addition to the New Testament. Now, I I just want to emphasize how radical this is. The Bible, such as it is, are whatever, and and, uh, just as a newsflash for some of you, 
It's not like when Jesus, after Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, wait, you guys are going to need these. And then dropped, you know, fully written and translated versions of the King's, King James Version uh, on the apostles as he was ascending into heaven. No, uh, the Bible was not written completely for decades after Jesus' death. The Bible as a single unit, as a single thing, okay, as a canon of scriptures, a, a canonical authoritative list of which books, Hebrew language books comprising the Old Testament, maybe some Greek language books that are also part of the Old Testament. This is the deuterocanonical books. This is stuff that Protestants and Catholics argue about. Uh, and then which written in ancient Greek books and epistles, which of these books should comprise the canon of authoritative scripture? And early Christianity, the church uh, in early Christianity, chiefly by means of what scriptures were used in the context of the liturgy, the church developed what the canon of scripture was in its early centuries. And this was refined over the course of time. But there is no Christian tradition prior to, I don't know, uh, when do people start questioning uh, St. Paul? Certainly not prior to the Reformation and very little, you know, support for this after uh, after the Reformation either. There is no longstanding Christian tradition, whether Catholic, whether Orthodox, whether Protestant, ever questioning the place of St. Paul's writings in the New Testament. And if you take him out, you're taking out a huge amount of doctrinal, doctrinal content from Christianity. So there's nothing in the history of Christianity, there's nothing to suggest that St. Paul is anything other than a core constitutive element of Christianity. But what you also see now, and this is more... Now, now there, there are different approaches to this, both among Catholic liberals and then among Protestant liberals. All right. Among Catholic liberals, what we see are people... And I saw... I saw someone do this directly to me. Okay, the Catholic Church is sort of, uh, has very carefully and in various ways been delineating what its teaching is on the death penalty. And the teaching on the death penalty historically has been that, well, Catholics think the death penalty is okay. Um, However, the death penalty is obviously only okay under certain conditions. And the Catholic Church over the course of the last 50 or 60 years has been trying to refine what those conditions are. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, executing executing Jesus was wrong, obviously, so not every instance of the death penalty is right. Um, you have to apply the death penalty only under just circumstances, whatever those just circumstances are. You shouldn't apply the death penalty uh, loosely or sporadically. Uh, the crime that you commit should certainly be serious and weighty enough before you resort to the death penalty. So the Catholic Church's teaching has always been the death penalty is okay, but what are the conditions that surround it? And the Catholic Church has tried to refine it. Pope Francis has attempted to refine it by basically giving the the theological opinion, the, the theological 
judgment, the ethical judgment rather, that he does not think in the modern world with modern systems of you know, prison systems, etc., he does not think that the conditions in here, he does not think that the conditions exist currently in the modern world for the death penalty to be legitimately applied. Okay? Now, that, that is a change from sort of how John Paul II formulated it, but it's not, it, it's not a change to the core doctrinal content of whether the death penalty is right or wrong. It's a change as far as when do I think the circumstances apply for when the death penalty is legitimate. And his contention is, well, modern circumstances are such that the death penalty is not legitimate. What I see when I, I was trying talking with this with a very liberal Catholic, and I was saying, you know, I appreciate that when Pope Francis made this change, he never said, you know, that the death penalty was intrinsically immoral because that would strike at, you know, St. Paul himself talks about the legit has quotes in the New Testament talking about the legitimacy of the death penalty. And I was saying, you know, I appreciate the fact that Pope Francis didn't say that the death penalty was inherently immoral. He was just saying that the conditions for when it can be justly applied don't adhere currently. And this liberal Catholic I was talking with was saying, oh, well, we can't take St. Paul seriously all the time. I mean, you know, he was justifying all kinds of things that, were, that we just don't accept now. So the approach among Catholic liberals is different from the approach of Protestant liberals. Catholic liberals have to exist within a structure of church teaching authority that says, no, we're not going to just pitch out the epistles of St. Paul. <laughs> we're going to keep them here. Okay, Uh, so Catholic liberals have to do this sort of ignoring act, whereas Protestant liberals have no such qualms. Protestant liberals be out here wilding, as the kids say. Uh, Protestant liberals are out here saying Saint. I I just I'm starting to see people on Twitter saying that St. Paul corrupted the pure essence of the Jesus movement with his uh, doctrinal hostility and his uh, and his harshness and things like that uh saint paul co-opted the jesus movement which was apparently just you know just about nothing but love man and gave it all this horrible you know doctrinal content and moral content and things like that um i've seen people explicitly say that saint paul is the kind of false teacher that jesus warns about in the gospels i have seen people by the way, I believe this is blasphemous, so I'll, I'll just I'll just lay that out there. I have heard people say that there has been this movement among liberal Protestants for reigniting the so-called red-letter Christianity movement, which is the idea that the only things we care about in the Bible are, is the stuff printed in red, Jesus' words, and that we don't care about the other stuff that St. Paul is, you know, little more than uh, maybe an interesting commentary but certainly not authoritative. And at the root of all this is a bizarre posture. And it's a bizarre posture that I think all of us need to, all of us within the Christian tradition. And uh, again, I don't want to feel like I'm excluding people who aren't on this show. And maybe you think it's interesting because I think there's stuff that's probably applicable to those of you who are Jewish and those of you who are Muslim. There's a kind of approach of liberalism, and I'm talking about classic liberalism, a a kind of fundamental classical liberal 
position, point, idea, is that there's no such thing as a really solidly concrete, knowable human nature. Everybody is different. No two people are the same. And thus, the good towards which we are ordered, there is no one good towards which we are all ordered. All of us pursue our own extremely variated goods, things that we think we should be ordered towards in life. You can even hear echoes of this, more than echoes, in the Declaration of Independence, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. The pursuit of happiness is this sort of classical liberal formulation of the idea that, no, every, everyone has to pursue their own conception of what is happiness, what is their own conception of, uh, as Aristotle would say, eudaimonia. Everyone has to pursue their own conception of that. And I think when that idea gets applied to Christianity too much, we start becoming our own little popes. We start becoming our own little authorities in religion where we say, well, I don't have to conform to what the Bible demands of me uh, as a Catholic. I don't have to conform to what the church, which as Catholics believe, we think of the church as a kind of authoritative interpreter of the Bible. I don't have to conform myself to what my church teaches me. I don't have to conform myself to what the scriptures teach me. They have to conform to me. Who are they? What is this this book written by this St. Paul guy? What it what is this to me? How, how who who made St. Paul pope? I should be the one who is deciding what is right and wrong for me. I am a modern day uh you know left-leaning social liberal. Uh I think that my desire to have sexual relations outside of the context of a heterosexual marriage uh, are okay. I think that my viewpoints, you know, favoring permissive abortion laws are right. Uh, This notion that we can elevate our desires against that of sacred sacred tradition and sacred scripture or even throw those things out, I think is a profoundly liberal instinct that we need to reject. And I find this trend in especially in Protestant Christianity but also in uh, in in Catholicism among very liberal Protestants, very liberal Catholics so distressing that if you go down this road of rejecting all authority, w- what do you really have to stand on? At a certain point you're going to start questioning the words of Jesus himself. And and I find that just profoundly distressing. When we return From the sublime to the ridiculous, an update on the Jussie Smollett trial, how he might have also added perjury to his list of crimes, next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Now, I think you all remember the Jesse Smollett incident. This guy was a, an actor on a Fox 
television program that I did not ever really watch. And he seemingly was, I don't know, sad about his own irrelevance. And so he appears, from all available evidence, to have uh, paid two Nigerian brothers to basically stage a racist attack against him in Chicago. So he was going to pay them to beat him up, put a noose around his neck, and yell, this is MAGA country, which a lot of places in America that maybe you could try to label as MAGA country, but certainly would not have thought of Chicago as one of those places, um, that they would do that while wearing, you know, uh, red uh, Make America Great Again hats, and uh, that Jesse could then claim, oh, I was a victim of a, you know, Trump-inspired hatred and get a lot of media attention and sympathy. Well, it then turned out that after he reported all this to the police, it turns out that he sort of made the whole thing up. And Dave Chappelle had a hilarious sort of comedy special in which he uh, lampooned this whole thing, in which everyone sort of should have realized that he was clearly lying right from the outset. Um now, he is Smollett is now being prosecuted for his various crimes, for various alleged crimes of false police reports, etc. And he is uh, so a lot of people are making a lot of funny jokes about this that this is the first time that an American tried to scam Nigerians rather than the other way around. Um, that, uh, because it's the, the common internet scam is you get an email from someone claiming to be a Nigerian prince. That's a very common scam, but I need your help. I have this great financial opportunity, but first you need to send me all of your credit card information and your social security number. So it appears that he, Smollett may have lied about details of this under oath while he was testifying in his own defense, uh, yesterday in his trial. And uh, this now adds another wrinkle onto his case. Look, it's one thing to try to get sympathy from people. It's one thing to try to get attention from people. But if you start making false police reports, then you need to really be in trouble. And then if you start lying under oath, that's really bad. Uh, In the state of Illinois, lying under oath comes with a, a felony that can get you up to five years in jail and up to $25,000 in fines. Now, Smollett is an actor seemingly doing pretty well with it for himself, although I'm not sure he's doing that well. Um, so I think he should have to pay. I don't know that paying a $25,000 fine is really going to hurt him too much. I think the prison time probably would. And this is the incredible sort of marketplace for whining sympathy that the left has sort of fostered here. The whole idea of what's called intersectionality. So it's this left wing sort of theory of basically we need to give preferences, positive discrimination in favor of groups that have been historically discriminated against. And the more intersectionality checkboxes you can check, the higher up you are on the scale of how much of a victim you are and therefore how much we need to give you deference. And Jesse Smollett, as a gay black man, 
is pretty high up there. And this attitude of intersectionality, which has which has thoroughly, completely rejected a lot of core kind of American ideas about equality, the core American ideas of equality that were, I think, best described by Martin Luther King as, you know, the, judge people not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. We 100 percent have now shifted on the left that we, they on the left, have shifted 100% to saying, no, we are going to judge people on the color of their skin. 100%, we are going to judge them on the color of their skin. We are going to discriminate against them if they are white or Asian. And then we are going to discriminate in favor of them if they are black or LGBT or this or that. And it has started, it has prompted this whole movement among with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Young people, even, to, to want to identify as some form of LGBT, even if they are not actually. Okay, there are tons of teenagers now who are starting to identify as, quote, pansexual. What that means is it's a 14-year-old who has a lot of close girlfriends, dated a boy, gets mad at the boy because he broke up with her, reacted stupid. She's really tight with her friends. So she said, well, well, I'm bisexual. And then people hear, well, bisexual is actually kind of, you know, that sort of assumes there are only two sexes. So you should call yourself pansexual. Okay, I'm pansexual. So this, there, it's almost like you get more status in society if you are in one of these categories. And I think it's that desire for victimhood, victimhood almost as a means of getting social status, that prompts a guy like Jesse Smollett to, you know, pay a pair of Nigerian brothers to beat him up and to try to make a police report claiming he got beat up by MAGA activists. All right, when we t- come back, we're going to talk more about this uh more about gender and LGBT stuff. We're going to talk about it. Uh, a An athlete from the University of Pennsylvania setting a whole bunch of records. Why? Because he's a dude competing in women's events. And the concept of social contagion. Next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show. Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk, 96.7 and AM 1400. This is a piece from Gallup, and it's a piece about the concept of social contagion. 
the concept of social contagion and as how it relates to LGBT identities. This is from Gallup. LGBTQ, uh, LGBT identification rises to 5.6% in latest U.S. estimate. Gallup's latest update on lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender identification finds 5.6% of U.S. adults identifying as LGBT. The current estimate is up from 4.5% in Gallup's previous update based on 2017 data. Currently, 86.7% of Americans say they are heterosexual or straight. 7.6% do not answer the question about their sexual orientation. Gallup's 2012 to 2017 data had roughly 5% no opinion responses. The latest results are based on more than 15,000 interviews conducted throughout 2020 with Americans aged 18 or older. Uh, It also has, uh, there are also stories about the, quote, explosion in LGBT identification among kids. This is a story from The Federalist. A new Gallup poll published on February 24th shows one in six Gen Z adults, so that's people younger than millennials, so kids currently in college, currently in high school, one in six Gen Z adults identify as LGBT. These results represent a remarkable jump from 2017, when 4.5% of Americans identified as LGBT, a number that has now risen to 5.6% just three years later. The increase is indeed dramatic, yet it doesn't fully tell the whole story. Why? While the population of Americans identifying as LGBT has risen steadily since 2012, last year the question was expanded from a simple yes or no to LGBT identity to include specific categories to choose from. Only one identity group showed a dramatic increase, bisexual women. Of the 5.6% of all adults who identify as LGBT, 3.1% identify as bisexual, making up 54.6% of all LGBT adults. All right. So what is this, what is this indicating? So we're seeing a huge increase in people identifying as LGBT. Much of that increase is among girls identifying as bisexual. I think there is an element here of what is called social contagion. So let me explain this. I think it kind of relates to the Jesse Smollett story we were talking about in the last segment. So social contagion is kind of simple. It's the notion that once an idea gets out, once people hear about an idea they are more likely to think that that idea applies to it themselves. Once an idea is promoted through media channels, people are more likely to think that that idea applies to themselves. The huge promotion of the LGBT movement that we have seen in media, in industry, uh, the 2013 Supreme Court case, Obergefell v. Hodges, forcing states... Uh, to abandon their laws restricting marriage to uh, a union between one man and one woman. All of these things have promoted this sort of culture in which we are, in which the United States is incredibly accepting, both in law, in public policy, in so many ways, of LGBT identities. And it's promoted in media, it's promoted by corporations. Uh, although not by those corporate offices, uh, Saudi Arabian headquarters. I, I saw this graphic once about the Twitter handles for ma- various major corporations. 
And so they have their main account that's usually used by American consumers, but then they'll have other Twitter accounts used for different countries or regions. And uh, so like BMW, for instance, or Mercedes. And during June, you know, quote, Pride Month, uh, during June, all of these companies adopt rainbow-themed logos, but their Saudi Arabian or Middle Eastern uh, Twitter accounts, no acknowledgement, <laughs> no acknowledgement of Pride Month there. Be- why? Because the Muslims don't play that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible how... Um, you know, how selectively in favor of LGBT rights uh, these corporations are. Not exactly that brave if it's going to adversely impact their bottom dollar, uh, which it would in their various Middle Eastern markets. Anyway, but the idea is simple. When you spread ideas about something through media, through social media, people are more likely to adopt that idea. We have spread to teenagers throughout this country, through TikTok, through YouTube, through all the major corporations that control these massive platforms of social media, through Twitter, through Snapchat. Aggressively promoting the the idea that LGBTQ identities, LGBT sex activity, LGBT identification, all these things are normative, are good, are positive. And so, of course more kids are going to identify that way. This relates a lot to the transgender question. Something like 90% of kids, it's it's an enormous majority of kids who identify, who experience some kind of gender dysphoria. If not treated, those kids will eventually just revert back as far as the gender that they express or identify with will revert back to their actual biological sex. The overwhelming majority of kids do that. But we have now promoted the notion that, no, 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 transgender identity is is good. That, that you are a woman deep down, in spite of the fact that you have a penis. You are a man uh, deep down, in spite of the fact that, uh, you know, your chromosomes are what they are. Uh, that you're, you're XX, not XY. Um, we have promoted these ideas enormously through every media channel possible. And so kids, rather than just working through gender dysphoria issues, rather than saying, maybe I'm just really close friends with these girls and I'm just mad at my boyfriend, will say, no, 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 I identify as bisexual. No, 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 I identify as transgender. And will lead themselves down these roads, especially with transgender kids where they will start, where people will cater to something that could very well be just worked out if you let it go. Okay, again, the overwhelming majority of cases where kids experience some kind of gender dysphoria, they revert to their actual biological sex. But we had, there was a whole 60 Minutes special about it. And, you know, kudos to 60 Minutes. I didn't think they would have the stones to do it. 60 Minutes had this whole special about people who had transitioned to one, to the opposite sex, including via surgeries, including via puberty blockers, who who tremendously regretted the decision. And now their lives are ruined. Now their sexualities are ruined. Now their bodies are irreparably harmed by those procedures.
And this was done because of social contagion, because of both adults and kids being affected with social contagion. Kids being promoted this, receiving this idea that, oh, no, a transgender identity is totally normal. Just just go for it. Just go for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We support you. Trans rights. Blah, 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 blah. And they, oh, oh, well, I must be transgender because I'm experiencing confusion about this. And then having, you know, life-altering surgeries or, you know, uh, or, you know, hormonal treatments, etc. Now, the other side would argue these LGBT people have always been there. It's just because of societal condemnation, none of these people have ever been willing to come out. And then they've just, you know, gone on to you know, live closeted homosexual lives while, you know, gay men living closeted homosexual lives while married to women. Um, which is... Okay, I hear that argument, and maybe they can marshal some statistics. But also the statistics, I think, align pretty well, correlate pretty well with an argument that a lot of this is about social contagion. Okay, why is this chiefly happening among girls identifying as bisexual? Seems odd. You know, the the, the kind of selection here, the, the huge increase in LGBT identity is among girls who want to identify as bisexual. And that seems to be a lot of young female celebrities who are identifying as queer in some way, shape, or form because I think it gives them clout. Look, as I explained in the last segment, intersectionality, the kind of left-wing theory of who is more of a victim, who is less of a victim, therefore to whom we should give more deference, more respect, uh even go so far as, you know, preferential admission into colleges and, and, you know, preferential employment opportunities and things like that. The more boxes you can check on the intersectionality scale, the better off it is for you. And if you're an otherwise uninteresting, you know, uninteresting, uh, if you are an otherwise from an intersectionality perspective, white woman, Well, if you just say that you're bisexual, all of a sudden, oh, I got a little more clout. I have a little more respect. I can say, oh, I'm being, you know, I'm being bullied. It's LGBT hate. There's an immediate boost you can get in various ways, shapes, and forms. And there are actresses who I identify as queer. And it's like, well, you're presenting as a woman. You are a woman. You're dating a man. What are we doing here? Anyway, so... Regardless, this, I think this concept of social contagion is very real. And, you know, you're immediately labeled as some kind of a monster if you question this and have any conclusion other that other than, yes, this is, this is, this is just because of societal norms changing for the better. It's allowing people to express who they are and to be who they are. Is it? Is it entirely? I don't. I. I just don't know that there, that that is the case. I don't know that we have really the solid ground for simply asserting that. All right. When we return, speaking more about transgenderism, the amazing story of the University of Pennsylvania student athlete who's setting all kinds of records. Why? Because he's a man and he's running in women's and he's uh, competing in women's events. Next on the John Girardi Show. 
The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, and AM 1400. I'm going to let you guys figure out for yourselves the reason why this is happening. A 22-year-old transgender swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania continued her... We have to use that pronoun. It's a biological male presenting as a woman competing in swimming in at the University of Pennsylvania. All right. A 22-year-old transgender swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania, UPenn, continued her dominant performance this season, setting numerous pool, meet, and program records at a three-day event in Ohio last weekend. Leah Thomas blew away her competition Friday night in the 500-yard freestyle preliminaries and finals at the Zippy Invitational at the University of Akron, according to results posted by the school. In the finals, Thomas notched a winning time of 4 minutes, 34 seconds, uh, 4 minutes, 34.06 seconds, good enough for a new Ivy League record. The swimmer continued smashing records on Saturday with a nearly 7-second victory in the 200-yard freestyle with a time of 1 minute 41 seconds, 41.93 seconds, representing the fastest finish in the country, the school said. Over the weekend, Thomas also set a new program meet and pool record in the 1,650-yard freestyle. She finished that race in 15 minutes, 59.71 seconds, more than 38 seconds ahead of the second-place finisher, teammate Anna Kalandadze. Before her transition, Thomas competed for two full seasons at Penn as a man. NCAA rules mandate at least one year of testosterone suppression treatment to be eligible to compete as a woman. Swimming is a huge part of my life and who I am. I've been a swimmer since I was five years old. Being trans has not affected my ability to do this sport and being able to continue is very rewarding. Of course it hasn't affected your ability to do the sport. You're a biological man and now you're competing against women. So this highly mediocre, apparently, male swimmer transitions to becoming a woman. And guess what? Setting all kinds of records. And this this is just a New York Post story about it. No commentary of, hey... This is a biological man competing against biological women, beating them the way that Katie Ledecky beats most girls. Are we not going to comment on this? Are we not going to raise any questions about... I mean, he's, this person is setting Ivy League records. How do the former record holders feel about this, I wonder? How do the former, you know... How do the former record holders feel about this? How do, how do the women competing in these competitions who are in second place, how do they feel about it? How does the girl feel who got blown out, by, who was the fastest swimmer among all the female participants, but got blown out by 38 seconds? How does she feel about it? I'd love to know. Now, unfortunately, I'm betting since there are a bunch of millennials going to, not millennials, they're Zoomers attending, you know, uh, very liberal universities. I'm sure the girl in second place has to has to say, because, she, you know, otherwise she would be committing a grave sin against intersectionality. Well, I support this person. There's nothing wrong with it. Okay. Biological men and biological women are different. 
There's just no getting around it. You can have, you know, the NCAA rules apparently required uh, this male transitioning to a female, man transitioning to a woman, required him slash her to take one year of hormone suppressants before being able to compete. That's not going to change the fact that her frame is that of a man, that her muscle structure is that of a man. Of course, this person is going to blow all these girls out of the water. And, And we're just blithely accepting it as if there's totally nothing wrong. It's man, it's complete insanity. It is complete insanity. That'll do it for John Girardi Show. We'll see you tomorrow on Power Talk. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.